And we're starting a new series this morning called COVID Christianity, What Faith Looks Like in a Pandemic. And we're doing this series because uh, this is a rare historic moment for us here on earth. I mean, we're all sitting at home doing church in our living rooms. That's rare. And your leaders here at Rooftop want to make sure that you're getting the, the encouragement and the guidance you need from God's word to help you cope with all the craziness going on. Uh, so for the next month or two, we're going to be asking that question. What does the Christian faith look like during a pandemic? I mean, everything's different these days, right? Uh, work is different. Play is different. Life is different. And faith is different too. Now, how is faith different? How can we maintain practice and even grow in our faith during this uh, coronavirus? To answer that question, we're going to be addressing a broad array of subjects, uh, prayer, a peace in a world of panic, a community in a world of social distancing, preparedness in a world of ruin. And we're going to start our series by talking about compassion. What does compassion look like in a world of suffering? I'm sure you know that the world is suffering right now. As of last Thursday, over 140,000 people around the world have died from COVID-19. Uh, 17 million people have filed for unemployment here in the U.S. That is a record. 30 million jobs might be lost in this country. More people are filing for bankruptcy. Schools and businesses are shutting down. Families can't even be together at hospitals. And behind all these statistics lie heartbreaking stories, too. I mean, recent victims of the virus include a state representative, a beloved Brooklyn priest, a sociologist, a neurosurgeon. Here in St. Louis, a 44-year-old nurse from Hazelwood recently passed away from the coronavirus and an employee of Pattonville High School. Our, world's, our world is suffering right now. Now, you might argue that we are making the suffering worse by overreacting to it. You might agree with the president that the cure can't be worse than the disease. You can, of course, think that. I don't know. That is way above my pay grade. But I do know that people are suffering. And it raises the more important question, how should God's people respond to the suffering we see all around us? Now, honestly, that's an easy question with an easy answer, with compassion. We should respond with compassion. Now, the word compassion means to suffer with. Uh, passion means suffer, like the passion of the Christ, and calm is a prefix meaning with. To have compassion on people means to suffer with them. It means to enter their pain. And it means to feel their pain at the deepest level, too. Uh, the Greek word for compassion in the Bible is this super fun $10 word. It's splagnizomai. Splagnizomai. It's a tough word. I won't ask you to say it at home. Splagnizomai means to feel for someone in the bowels. In the ancient world, different feelings were understood to originate in different organs in the body. And compassion and empathy for others was thought to originate in your gut, in your bowels, down here. You know, when you, when you feel hurt for other people, sometimes that's where you feel it, in your gut. You know, when you see a, a, a homeless child on the street, or when you, you walk into a hospital room and you see a loved one lying there on the hospital bed and your stomach twists and tightens, that's you feeling it in the bowels. And that's how God's people should respond to a world of suffering. We should suffer with the world. 
But not just suffer with the world. I mean, compassion can't just suffer with. Compassion isn't just feeling for others. Uh, strictly speaking, that's something else. Strictly speaking, that's empathy. Empathy is, is just feeling for others. And empathy is not compassion, nor is compassion just doing things for others. That's actually mercy. Empathy is to feel for someone. Mercy is to serve someone. Compassion is both. Compassion is empathy for others that leads us to acts of mercy that alleviate their suffering. That's what compassion is. It's empathy and mercy. Empathy for others that leads us to acts of mercy that alleviate their suffering of the world. And we get several pictures of Jesus in the New Testament feeling empathy for other people, leading him to take action as a healer. In the Gospel of Matthew, for example, the author writes this. When Jesus saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. He felt for them in his bowels. And what did he do? He healed their sick. Jesus empathized with this large crowd of sick people, and then he did something about it. He healed them. He empathized with their pain, and then he acted mercifully. That's different than, let's say, what I did at the gas station the other day. Just the other day, I was walking a quick trip next to the church, and as I was walking through the parking lot, I saw an elderly woman uh, trying to uh, air up her tires. She looked like she was struggling a bit, getting that big um, uh, air hose around her car. I felt empathy for her in my bowels. I felt it. I felt her struggle, but I I didn't know what to do. I mean, I honestly don't like insulting people by assuming, especially strangers, by assuming they want or need my help. Plus, it's kind of late for an appointment. So I kept walking and didn't offer to help. Now, I still actually don't know if I missed a chance to take action, compassionate action, but let's just assume that I did. That's not compassion. Compassion is empathy for others, feeling it for others, that leads us to acts of mercy to alleviate their suffering. This should be our response to a suffering world. Now, why? Why should compassion be our response to a world of suffering? That's actually a very deeply important question. In fact, let's do something a little bit different right now. If you're with friends or you're with family this morning, go ahead and turn to them and ask them this question. Why should compassion be our response to a world of suffering? Spend a few seconds taking some guesses. Discuss. If you're watching alone, go ahead, have an out loud conversation with yourself and the Holy Spirit. Why should suffering be our response to the world? I'm just going to give you a few seconds and stand here awkwardly while you have that conversation. So, class, why should the response of God's people be compassion in a world of suffering? For lots of reasons that you probably mentioned, because the world needs it, because we'll be rewarded in heaven for it, because God commands it, because that has been the example of God's people over the history of the church, all yes. But here's the real reason God's people should practice compassion. It's because we worship a compassionate God. Compassion is essential, it's constitutive of the very character and essence of God. That's who God is. He's a God of compassion. And we see this all over the Bible. One of the most common refrains said of God in the Old Testament is this. It's, you, O Lord, 
are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's a very famous refrain in the Hebrew scriptures. In fact, if you're watching at home and you're still paying attention, read this with me again. You, O Lord, are we reading together? You, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. God is compassionate towards his people, and he takes action on their behalf. He doesn't just feel for them. He forgives their sin. He protects them from their enemies. He blesses them with kings and prophets. Uh, He leads them back into the promised land. Uh, The New Testament picks up on this. Uh, Paul, in the book of Corinthians, uh, calls God the Father who is full of all comfort and compassion. And James, also in the New Testament, says that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And of course, we have Jesus, who as the Son of God, is the very living image of the Father's compassion. Again, in Matthew, the author writes that when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, he felt it in his bowels, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So yes, God can be angry. Yes, God can be punishing. But just as justice is central to the character of God, so is his compassion. And it's not just like an adjective we use to kind of describe one certain aspect of God. It's its very essence. And it's true. I mean, what do you think that God is feeling when he looks at the earth right now? What do you think God is feeling for us in his bowels? Do you think he's thinking, What a bunch of losers. They are totally overreacting to this so-called crisis. Do you think he's thinking that in his bowels? Do you think he's thinking, you know, if these people would just take better care of themselves, they wouldn't be so vulnerable to this disease? Do you think he's thinking that in his bowels? Do you think he's thinking all those people who don't have jobs right now, they really should have saved more money and they should have maybe, you know, studied something more practical in college? Do you think God's thinking those things? Or is he suffering with us? Is he feeling for us? Is he looking for opportunities to help serve us in this? We worship a God of compassion who suffers with us in our pain. The reason we should respond to a pandemic world with acts of compassion is because we worship a God of compassion, and to worship a God of compassion means to become people of compassion. You can't worship a God of compassion without at least trying to become like him. And that's what I want to talk with you about for the few minutes that I have left with you this morning. I want to talk about this. To worship a God of compassion means we must know, we must grow in, and we must show his compassion to the world. If we really want to be worshipers of the compassionate God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we must know, we must grow in, and we must show his compassion to the world. Let me take a moment and explain briefly each one of those. First, To worship a God of compassion means we must know the compassion of God. we got to know it. We cannot show the world God's compassion unless we know it. And by know, I I do not mean know it intellectually. I mean we got to know it in our heart. Or rather, we got to know it in our bowels. This starts by understanding that God has compassion towards us. God has compassion towards me. God has compassion deep compassion towards you. How so? In many ways, but especially in that he does not treat us as our sins deserve. 
That's the foremost expression of God's compassion. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Remember what David prays in Psalm 51. He says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquities. Cleanse me from my sin. This is one of the most basic truths of life and faith that we are all sinners who do not deserve the gift of heaven. We deserve to be separated from God forever. But while God is just, he is also compassionate. And according to his great compassion, he has forgiven us of our sins because of the sacrifice of Jesus, his son, on the cross. He has blotted out our transgressions. Now, the reason it's important to know the compassion of God deeply in our bowels is because unless we truly grasp that we are sinners who depend on the compassion of God, we're not going to be able to show the world God's compassion. We're going to be judgmental. We're going to be hypercritical. We're going to walk by people who need our help. That's what happens when you forget that God has compassion towards you. You cannot show it to others. So, question do you know the compassion of God? And I mean, do you really know the compassion of God? Do you know it in your bowels? And if you don't, start by realizing just how depraved of a sinner you are and yet how God loves you anyway. So much so that he would send his son to earth to die on the cross for your sins. Because God felt it in his bowels. God looked at you and felt it in his bowels. I can't let that happen. I can't let that person get separated from me forever. I'm gonna send my son to earth who went willingly to die for your sins. He felt it in his bowels. You've got to know that. We've got to know God's compassion. Secondly, to worship a God of compassion means we've got to grow in the compassion of God. We must know and grow in it. My point here is that it can take some time to learn how to empathize with and act mercifully towards other people. Uh, some people, we all know this, some people are natural empaths and they are natural servants. Others of us, we aren't. We walk by old ladies in gas station parking lots. Uh, even Jesus acknowledges that learning compassion can take time. As he says in Matthew, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not religious sacrifice. Mercy, empathy, compassion, they got to be learned. Honestly, this, this present crisis is a perfect opportunity for us to learn compassion. Uh, a neighbor friend of mine, a guy named Jeff, lives down the street. Uh, he's a counselor, and he's been talking to a lot of people during this crisis. And on his Facebook page uh, last week, he wrote uh, some words that I thought were brilliant, wonderful, and worth quoting with his permission about this very topic. He wrote this. If during this time you've worried about your financial security and how you'll afford life for you and your family as this continues, my hope is that you'll develop empathy for the impoverished, unemployed, and the poor, and you'll see why social programs like welfare and unemployment are important. If you've gone to the store and worried afterwards that you could have contracted a potentially fatal disease, my hope is that you'll develop empathy for those with lifelong illnesses, disabilities, and fatal diseases and you'll understand why developing better health care for all is so crucial. If the announcement of school closings has you concerned about your own child's education, my hope 
is that you'll grow empathy for those in underfunded school districts with outdated or no resources. And you'll understand why free and quality education for everyone is how we strengthen our nation as a whole. Now, honestly, you may or may not agree with my neighbor's implicit political recommendations, but don't let that distract you from his point, which is 100% true. This current crisis is a chance to learn compassion and empathy for others. Our own difficult situations should clue us into people who have it worse. There is no better way to grow in compassion for other people than to walk in their shoes, try to experience what life is like for them. Uh, For example, those of us who have uh, kids who are in high school are very sad these days that our seniors are losing their senior year. School's been canceled in Missouri, which is crazy. My son is a high school senior. He's already had the worst year of his life, and now he's losing the rest of it prom, maybe graduation. His senior baseball season was just canceled. This was the baseball season he's been preparing for his entire life. He was poised to have a great season too. He's been practicing all winter and it's just poof, gone. Now we're all sad about that, about what our seniors are losing. Uh, Maybe you're aware of uh, the Facebook campaign in which people are sharing their senior high school pictures in honor of the class of 2020. I actually have a really funny uh, high school senior picture that I was just getting ready to share. But then I was talking with my son, Max, and he said, just kind of out of the blue, he said, I don't know, Dad, why people think this Facebook campaign is going to make us feel better. It just makes us feel worse. It's just reminding us of all the great times they had that we won't. I didn't post a picture. That's what empathy is and where compassion starts. It's getting into the mind, getting into the heart of others so that you can know what life is like for them and know how to serve them. That starts by listening to them, paying attention to them, talking to them, asking them, hey, would this make you feel better if I posted my senior picture from 1976? That's how we grow, by learning what life is like for other people. I mean, that's why we're such big proponents here at Rooftop of the homeless ministry, the nursing home ministry, the adoption and fostering ministry. We're excited about all three of those ministries and our other ministries. Uh, these are ways to get to know people who suffer. Homeless, orphans, the elderly, so that we can feel with them in our bowels and serve them well. Know God's compassion, grow in God's compassion, and lastly, to worship of God of compassion, we must show the world the compassion of God. There is no such thing as a follower of Jesus who doesn't show his love to a suffering world. The prophet Zechariah writes, this is what the Lord Almighty says, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Christians are to be known for their compassion. The good news is that they actually have been. I'm reading a very interesting book by a church historian, a guy named Rodney Stark, The Triumph of Christianity. It's actually a historical explanation for how Christianity uh, became the, the world's largest religion. And one of Stark's explanations for Christianity's ascent in the world is our commitment to serving the sick. We actually take that for granted now. 
But in the early Greco-Roman Empire, when Christianity was like just getting going, people generally didn't do that. It was much more common to ignore the sick. I mean, back then, resources were limited. Why waste them on the dying, right? But here's the thing. Then along comes this Jewish guy who taught us that the God of the universe is a compassionate God who cares for all people, especially those who are suffering. And then this guy taught that to truly worship this God is to love others the way he loves us. And then this guy teaches us that sacrificing our lives for the sick and dying is a worthy sacrifice that will be rewarded. And then he teaches that we shouldn't just show compassion to people who are like us, but to all people. This was radical. People didn't do that. Many historians actually kind of agree Jesus seems to have invented compassion. As a result, Jesus' followers fanned out throughout the Roman Empire doing crazy things like caring for the sick. Uh, Two separate smallpox plagues hit the empire in the second and the third centuries, and while Roman pagans were just heading for the hills to get away from the contagious, Christians went into the cities to care for them, some even giving up their lives. As a result, the gospel spread as people saw the compassion of God demonstrated. Christians went on to build hospitals, uh, welfare programs, social services, churches with social ministries. Some of our greatest heroes are people who took Jesus seriously in this respect. We forget how radical the notion of caring for the sick and the dying was. Now, showing compassion to the world isn't a radical notion anymore. Thanks to Jesus, thanks to Jesus, he kind of made it the norm, the expectation. It's not that radical anymore, but still important. It's still who we are because it's who he is. I mean, what else is this coronavirus situation other than our chance to show God's love to people who are suffering? In fact, here's a question I actually want you to think about and talk about right now. Let's go ahead and, and um, put a face on this. Don't just hear this sermon and think, okay, wow, yeah, good thoughts. Thank Pastor Matt. No, do something about it. Here's a question to ask yourself right now. Who's a person in your life right now who has a need you can meet? A family member, neighbor, coworker. Who are they? What do they need? Do they need groceries? <clears throat> do they need some Zoom company? Do they need some encouragement? Who's a person in your life who's suffering right now with a need that you can meet? I am here to remind you digitally, online, right here, right now, that you worship a compassionate God. He loves you enough to send his son to die for your sins. And this same compassionate God put you in that person's life to show that person his love. And if we're not willing and able to meet that person's need with the compassion of God, our worship for him is a sham. It's a charade. Go show the world how great is the compassion of the God who loves us enough to send his son to earth to die for our sins. That's what faith looks like in a pandemic. That's what compassion looks like in a world of suffering. That's why we're here. So let's go do what God put us here on earth to do. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for revealing yourself to be a God of compassion. We grow um, desensitized to that, but among all the pagan gods, you stand out. You stand above in your compassion for your children. Compassion so great that you would come to earth as a man, spend time with us, endure our maltreatments, suffer on the cross for our sakes so that we can spend eternity with you. You do that in your compassion. That's who you are. And that's who we are called to be. Uh, Help us show the world your compassion during these crazy days. In small ways, big ways, whatever ways we can. It gets complicated. How do you care for the sick without getting sick? Complicated question. But help us look for ways. Small ways to let the world know that the God who created this universe and who rules over it and will bring it to its completion, that God is real and true and full of compassion, full of mercy, full of empathy. He feels for us in his bowels. Let us show the world uh, your great love. We close our time together this morning, Father, by praying together the words that your son, Jesus, taught us to pray, taught his disciples to pray, and words that Christians around the world for many centuries are still praying together no matter what the circumstances. Words of the Lord's Prayer, words that will appear on the screen. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.